Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The fallout from Storm Babette continues. We're delighted that you came down here today, but we really do need, we really do appreciate you coming, but we really need people to help us. After Middleton experienced a month's worth of rain in 24 hours, we talked to those impacted and asked what safeguards need to be put in place. And we speak with the executive director of Amnesty International USA and ask if Gaza is on the brink of a health catastrophe. Plus, in a special report, Sarah King speaks with Irish, Israeli and Palestinian people on how the horrors of war are impacting them. In all the recent protests in Israel, they were so pro-Arab and they're, they're the last people that you'd ever think would be in this situation. They really believed in co-live, coexistence between the two sides. Homeowners and businesses across Cork spent today coming to terms with the devastation of severe flooding caused by Storm Babette. We now go live to our news reporter, Ashley Nakushla, who's standing by in Middleton, one of the worst affected places. Ashling, a day of heartbreak for many as they count the cost of the clean-up from yesterday's floods. Is the full impact at this stage known? You're with a local business there. Yeah, that's right, Colette. It's been, or Claire, sorry, it's been a really difficult day here for the businesses and just the local town of Middleton in general. Tens of businesses on the main street here in Middleton completely covered with water as that rain and those floods hit yesterday. They came out on the streets from early this morning when dawn broke. They started that clean-up and even as we're coming to air here this evening, there is businesses, owners still at their premises clearing out the furniture and all their stock that has been destroyed as a result of the floods. There were skips and there was bin trucks on the streets throughout the day. As those skips were put down, they were filled within minutes and they were removed once again. Such was the volume of furniture that was destroyed yesterday. The Taoiseach arriving here in Middleton today, he met with some of the volunteers that were working here yesterday. He also met with some of the business owners. He came, he did a bit of a walk around on the, in the bottom area of the town here, the area that was worst affected meeting those business owners, giving them some reassurance that there will be financial supports put in place for them over the coming weeks and months. Now, one of the business owners he spoke to here today was Fiona O'Driscoll. Fiona set up her business um, Bikes and Bites here in Middleton a number of years ago. Fiona, it's been an extremely difficult day for you and your business partner, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Um, Deirdre, my wife and myself and Deirdre's son, Jamie, we've set up this business three years ago and um, today has just been... A shell shock. Well, I suppose yesterday was. Um, today would lift your spirits with the support we've got from family and friends and local community. Um, but everybody's just devastated because, as you mentioned, things are f- just were lifted by the water. The water came to four or five feet here in our premises and in the neighbouring premises, and we were trying to lift stock from the ground and the lower shelves to top shelves, and we just couldn't beat the water. 
it happened so quickly. We served young lads who just come out for a treat after getting their junior cert results at 10 past one and 10 minutes later we were getting them out the door and the water was coming in against us. Ed, when the Taoiseach was here today he wanted to reassure business owners that there is financial supports there in place for you. Do you think what he told you today will be enough for you to get back on your feet? Yeah, obviously he didn't give figures so it's hard to know. I mean the figures we've heard from other humanitarian aid in previous floods I don't think that'll be the tip of the iceberg. They're saying 5,000 up front, which uh, gets you started, but that's not going to rescue any business at this end of the town or maybe some up the town either. Um, I suppose, like, even to get an electrician in to look at the electrics and make sure that everything is safe, like, that 5,000... Any electrical work would be gobbled up by that. Like So I know I didn't just talk some more. I suppose we were pleading with him when he came in. That's what we, our plea was, look... It's not just the businesses, it has such, it's a pebble in a pond, yeah. has a ripple effect throughout the town because there's so many businesses affected, people's homes, the people that work here, we have a load of college students, they support themselves through college. If we can't reopen, that affects everybody, you know, and, and all the other businesses around us the same. Okay, thank you for joining us here this evening, Fiona. So the Taoiseach gives that reassurances to businesses here, but the work and the clean-up operation here in Middleton, it won't be just something that will continue for days, it will continue for weeks. Some of the businesses here today telling us as we spoke to them in the town that they would be hopeful to be open before Christmas, others saying it might be after Christmas before they can reopen their doors. Ashling, thank you for that. Thank you for joining us with the very latest there from Middleton. Well, just before we came on air, I spoke with a local resident, Brenda Mooney, whose home was destroyed by flooding, and she described how it all began. Yeah, the so the river was kind of, it was flowing fast, but it didn't really seem like it was too bad. The river is kind of at the front of my house, um, and at about 11 o'clock, I heard a massive bang and all the fences at the back of my house actually were after collapsing um, and water just started pouring into the house from every angle, from the front, from the back. We have side doors where we're detached on at the house on its own um, and it just started coming in from all angles. So I was running around, I was trying to get towels and duvets and everything to try and stop the flow of water in. But it was so strong, I just... I couldn't stop it. There was nothing I could do. I just had to go up and stand on the landing and watch the devastation. It was unbelievable. Brenda, and it was so fast. Mm. Brenda, tell us about the damage done to the inside of your home. Yes, we had about three feet of water inside the house. Um, appliances are gone. All our floors are going to have to be ripped up. Um, you know, the general maintenance, like all the doors, repainting, everything. I don't think we even know the full extent of the damage yet. And there's a lot of damage done to outside, the garden and everything. And the fences were taken away with the current as well. So we still, we're still assessing the full extent of it, really. OK. What do you make of the assistance that the government said will be offered to homeowners and others like yourself, Brenda, um, to the tune of around €10 million Euro, um, and, and what homeowners will receive in this? How much do you think, have you counted the cost of the damage to your own home at this point? I couldn't read. It's at least, at least 10000 I'd say, if we're taking in all of the appliances and everything. I mean, our fridge is gone washing machine, dishwasher, um, everything. So I think between the floors and the whole lot, 
and between drying the place out and just trying to get everything back to the way that it was, I can't see it being less than about eight or ten thousand euro. It's just it's it's crazy. It's devastating the the impact and the because the current was so fast, it just kind of swept everything away from the garden as well. So we're not totally sure until we can assess everything, but it's not going to be cheap, definitely. And are you like other homeowners whose insurance will not cover this? No, we couldn't get flood insurance. Actually, no one would insure against flooding in Middleton because of the area that we're in, but it's never been this bad before. We always thought that we'd be okay. There was a big flood in 2015 um, and it flooded the garden, but it didn't flood the house. It's just the way, I think the way that the river burst its banks this time, it burst everywhere at one time. And it just, it was coming from everywhere. So uh, I can kind of see why they wouldn't insure it, but it's devastating when we weren't expecting it. I mean, this is unprecedented really. Brenda, we wish you the very best um, as you try to recover from that flooding and repair the damage to your home. Uh, thank you for joining us on the programme this evening. Thank you. And here now to discuss this further is Fine Gael Senator John McGahan, Sinn Féin TD Matt Carthy, environmental journalist John Gibbons, and joining us down the line tonight is Mayor of Cork, Frank O'Flynn. Uh, you're very welcome along to the programme, everyone. Uh, Matt Carthy, to come to you first, there is this promise of financial aid, but gauging from the reaction tonight, I guess it can't come soon enough and people are worried about the cost of all of this. I mean, the devastating cost uh, and the fear that for businesses, they, they won't be back up and running before Christmas. Yeah, I had imagined the fear yesterday must have been that lives would be lost. Looking at the footage today and speaking to some of my own party colleagues, Pat Buckley, Donica O'Leary, um, and others, they've been telling me that you know it is in many ways miraculous that nobody was actually killed because um, the scenes and the speed in which the floods happened um, were, were were just horrendous and you know biblical. By, by all accounts. And it is crucially important, obviously, that the financial package is put in place. I welcome the fact that um, government have announced uh, you know, a 10 million euro package to be immediately available. The fact that that is in place and can be released so quickly just shows how often these events now happen, that there is a, a contingency um, package in place. But, you know, without, you know, causing further alarm to the people affected. Some of the figures that were mentioned there won't come close mm. to the actual cost that will actually be involved for homes and for businesses. And in some instances, those families and businesses haven't been able to get insurance. And the reason for that is because they've flooded before. And in some instances, we know and have known for quite some time that events like this could and would happen. We also know what it will take to resolve it. And I just think that it is absolutely inexcusable that the flood protection measures that we know have been needed, that have had plans in place, that those plans haven't been delivered. I don't think that's acceptable. All right. Um, to bring you in on that, John, and I was going to ask you about how quickly, you know, that this financial aid will be rolled out to people. We did receive assurances from um, the Taoiseach on that today that it will happen and it, it has happened in the in the, in the past quickly for people now, how much they will get as well, that the ceilings may be, you know, um, that, that may be increased to provide more support. But um, on this matter and around, I guess, the issue of uh, 
you know, prevention around this, maybe to come to you, John, on it. Um, you know, what, what Matt Carthy mentioned there about knowing about these things, knowing about the fact that this area is prone to flooding and there not being a scheme in place. Um, is that something that we should all have foreseen and should be planning for into the future? Yeah, I think we're going to have to plan for an awful lot more extreme weather. I mean, and advisory on this has been really clear that the, essentially the, the climate system is amping up. This is global, but it's also playing out in extreme local and regional events like we've just witnessed in Cork over the last 24, 48 hours. Scotland, for example, has seen equally extreme weather events. And these are riding in on top of already saturated soils. We've had a, a, an extremely wet year. So, for example... Um, July 2023 was the wettest July ever recorded in Ireland. March 2023 was the wettest March ever recorded. And October 22 was the wettest October. So, Claire, there's clearly a rapidly accelerating trend here, which we're seeing in real time, and that is we're getting a lot more precipitation. It's coming down harder and mm. faster, and it means that we're going to have to uh, invest more in, in preparation and defences, but also we have to mitigate. All right, OK. Um, just on the issue then of, of mitigation, uh, John, to come to you, you know, evidence there of a changing climate, and we know while we've seen flooding in the region before, uh, the difference here was probably all that flooding, all that the wet weather that we've had and the build-up of that meant very saturated lands and then that increased, I suppose, the damage that was caused. In terms of mitigation, where was the flood defence scheme? <clears throat> yeah, good question. Um, the flood descent, the flood defence scheme has been something that's been on track for Middleton for the last number of years. Uh, it's when you say a, on track, that, now that, risk assessment was so first carried moment, out in 2010, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, so at the moment it's now at the planning stage uh, and hopefully an application will be, be able to go in next year where government will be able to then allocate funding for it. And I know that uh, OPW Minister Patrick O'Donovan is very keen to get that process started. What I would say about it is one of the issues is we've seen 50 new flood defence schemes right around this country. There's there's another 90 in the process as well. And where it does work, works very well. But it's very important that we get that up and running as quickly as okay, possible. Okay, I just specifically want to look at, there have been notable flooding events that have been in Middleton alone, and we know other areas of Cork were impacted today. November 2000, October 2004, 2012, 2013, 2014. Uh, you know, two separate, there was February 2014, October 2014, into December 2015, January 2016, this area, it's known there's been flooding, the threat has been there, and what, there's no funding for it yet? No, uh, not at all, because the funding is there uh, in general there for all of these schemes. There hasn't been and there's it's, nothing in place yet. What is the hold-up? Uh, it really is a case that there are so many other areas, particularly in Cork, when you look at Bandon, Formoy was mentioned earlier on, that are equal, uh, have had similar issues over the last 10 years. And it's really a case of getting those applications in, getting them processed and getting them approved. One thing that I would say is, and I don't know the intimate details of Middleton, but one thing that I have seen with flooding schemes around the country is that the planning process itself has made it difficult where we see people being able to lodge objections, take out just judicial reviews, and that slows down large-scale infrastructure like flood defences in the first All place. All right, let's bring um, Frank O'Flynn in here. You're Mayor of County Cork. Frank, you're very familiar, I suppose, with the need for flood relief schemes um, given the, the, the area uh, that you're working in. Uh, what, do you say, what do you say to that, that you know, planning hold-ups are causing um, the problems here in part that while flood relief schemes are on track, uh, that is why essentially they haven't been delivered upon yet? Claire, um, and many thanks, and also to the listeners throughout all country Cork for the first of Middleton 
they, they suffered the most, but White Kids suffered, Killers suffered, McCormick suffered, parts of Kilbert, Clendelaine, and many other parts of Cock County. But it was, uh, what happened in Middleton was absolutely devastating. I know quite well, Claire, what the flood mean. And listen there while I go to Brenda Mooney. Uh, we had that in for many, many years. We put in place about 10, 12 years ago a very successful flood alleviation plan. And it brought in Mallow for my, uh, it brought many parts of Cork. We've seen put those plans in place, and they are obviously to be working. The most recent one, in actual fact, was Bendon. And I was talking to the county engineer to see, and he said, Frank, they have worked, and they work very, very well. The talking, I think, is over in relation to Middleton. We, well, you need immediately to put in place a flood relief scheme for Middleton. We are talking about this now planning, since 2000. It's planning the issue. What's the holdup? What's the holdup, Frank? The big, the big holdup is the red tape. The process this year is taking far too long. The people in Middleton cannot wait any longer. I, as county mayor, spoke to Stephen George, chief, ex uh, chief executive, and also spoke to the head engineer. And I'm going to use my good office to try fast track this and put in place a system. We can't wait any longer. It's gone on far for too long. You've seen there what happened in Middleton in the last few days. You see what happened in 2015. It's you're talking about this since 2010. The time for talking is all over, and I think the time now. Now the OP doubler is responsible for putting the flood schemes in place. They are telling us there's vast amounts of money there. I want to see action and I want to see okay. feet in the ground ensure that this right. plan is put in place for the people in Middleton, both the householders and the businesses. Okay, it, 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 people would say, you know, if there is a plan in place, it's coming very late, uh, Matt Carty, at this point. Should we bypass planning or does there need to be a, a, a new look a, a approach at, at approaching these flood relief schemes in order to get them? Um, in situ. No, we know that the planning system can be dysfunctional, but it's been that way in an awful lot of areas, particularly in terms of infrastructure. We see it um, playing a part in the in, in the housing crisis as, as well. So what is it? Lack of political will? What yes, is it? quite frankly, yes, because there's some things a planning process has to do under EU and domestic mm. law. So you have to allow for submissions and for people to um, in, um, have an input on public consultation process. You have to have um, consideration for the environmental impact. You don't have to have years and years of delays in order for those things to, to happen. The, um, Tanish just spoke today about judicial reviews. The reason so many judicial reviews are being taken to these type of planning um, applications is because so many of them are being successful because the planning process isn't actually fit um, and the systems that are in place aren't actually fit to do what um, is, they're obliged to, okay. to do. So there is ways of dealing with this. But I was, I was interested today in, in Glenmire, which is a good example. 2012, really bad um, flooding. 2016, um, the um, Glashboy flood relief scheme was announced. Sat on a minister's desk for three years. The cost actually doubled. And the cost now of actually compensating those families okay. and businesses that have been affected by the floods yesterday would probably be more than it would have cost to put the um, flood defences in in the first place. So we need to have a rethink. But it is... All too typical, I have to say, of government's approach. Wait until disaster okay. happens and then try and chase it. Uh, John, you, you, you will say the best way of tackling this is to look at why it's happening. I think you've kind of alluded to that, that we are seeing a changing world and this is more likely to happen. We have to look at it. Do you think we've also created man-made problems in our natural environment, in how we structure things and where we put buildings that we, we just don't want to admit or talk about? I think so. Clearly, um, over the last 20 years, uh, particularly pre the crash, 
we had a huge amount of developments in known floodplains. Some of these developments were even, the actual place name had the word water in it. So we knew at the time that we were allowing development in floodplains. And I think there was a kind of a hit and hope attitude that basically, well, we'll, we'll hope for the best, we'll come up with a plan. And housing was built in, in flood areas. I think we've also adapted the approach that we can engineer our way out of this problem completely. Now, in certain cases, for example, some of the flood protection uh, projects undertaken in towns like Clonmel, for example, Kilkenny, have been very successful because they're protecting Mm. limited high-value infrastructure. What we cannot do is treat the rivers of Ireland like they're basically sewers, water sewers, that we can canalise and cover in concrete and straighten and pour into the sea. That's not how water works. And now we're in a a situation now where uh, the amount of rainfall that we're getting in Ireland is rising. Our rivers are need to flood. But the problem, Claire, is they can't flood because in many cases they've lost their floodplains. Their floodplains are occupied. We've, we've, we've encroached on the natural floodplains. Another point to keep in mind is that the, the, the upland catchments for many, uh, for many, for many towns and, and villages, uh, that should, the kind of vegetation <coughs> on those uplands, should be able to slow down the rainfall. But what we're getting instead with our uh, bare hillsides is water is hitting them and, and basically sloshing down the hills. John, is this a wake-up call, do you think, for government? I mean, we have seen this flooding, but it's been on a scale like uh, nothing before. That's the feeling in Middleton and other areas. Yeah, it's been totally unprecedented when you see the amount of rainfall that came in 24 hours. But I think it's very key when I look at what Brenda said tonight, when I look at Fiona, what I would say to Brenda, who's talking about appliances, who's talking about our house, who's talking about all that, straight away, one of the funds that we have there is to provide money but for that. But she'd prefer if it didn't happen at all. Uh, absolutely. But what yeah, we so have... So if that flood relief scheme was in place, it, it, you know, yeah, chances very... are we wouldn't, we, wouldn't be doing, we wouldn't be doing anything from Middleton tonight. That's a very fair point. But I really want to reiterate what the Taoiseach said today. There's going to be three key sources of funding. Funding for people like Brenda, whose yeah. homes have been hurt. Funding for people like Fiona, whose businesses have been stopped. And funding to repair, on a county council level, bridges and And on roads. the flood relief scheme? Uh, that, I think has to be really fast-tracked as quickly as possible. And I know it's something that Minister Patrick O'Donovan is very concerned to do. All right, we will have to leave that there for now. Uh, My thanks to John Gibbons and to Frank O'Flynn, who joined us on Skype tonight after the break. The Executive Director of Amnesty International USA on the deteriorating humanitarian situation in Gaza. Do stay with us. Welcome back. 20 trucks carrying aid for Gaza are expected to arrive into the region tomorrow. But as the humanitarian crisis is ongoing there, it'll be, will it be, that's the question, too little, too late before going to air? I spoke to Executive Director of Amnesty International USA, Paul O'Brien. I started by asking him if this is a development around the aid convoy that Amnesty welcomes. Well, of course, we welcome aid trucks getting into Gaza as soon as possible, but basically it's too little, too late, and we need to see a completely different level of both international focus and support for a de-escalation in violence. I think they're they're still numbering the trucks uh, in the tens, uh, and they are going into a profoundly unsafe area, which has been under siege. There hasn't been water. 
food, enough fuel for generators, electricity at the mains cut off, people having been forced to move in highly unsafe conditions, our researchers on the ground saying people are being put into impossible choices. So this is nowhere near enough. And we're deeply concerned that it's that too much focus on it will take people's eyes off the prize on the scale of, of humanitarian uh, need that Gaza is now facing and the bigger solutions that need to be addressed. As a human rights watchdog, what's your assessment of what's happening? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In this conflict and specifically, do you think we're seeing breaches of international law? We don't think it. We know it. Uh, obviously, what happened on, well, maybe it should be said that on October 7th, the attacks by Hamas were sig significant breaches of international law, war crimes, the killing of innocent civilians in Israel. Um, they need to be held to account for that. What has happened in the days since, though, 6,000 bombs landing in Gaza in the last six days, uh, the siege, the collective punishment of ordinary Palestinians who had been going about their lives and are now being put into impossible choices. We're talking to folks on the ground in northern Gaza, young people, the disabled, old people who are told you either find a way to move to southern Gaza and, and by the way, if you do, those routes may be bombed and they have been, um, or you stay here and you risk your life. We've talked to paramedics who have had to continue trying to provide health services while their own colleagues have been killed. The situation is dire and we need the international community to recognize what is going on for ordinary Palestinians who are not culpable in any way for what happened on October the 7th. What about the influence of other countries here? The US, as we know, has a unique influence being Israel's key ally. Um, how do you assess its response, the visit of the US President Joe Biden and uh, efforts, do you believe efforts were made to de-escalate uh, the crisis in any capacity? No. Uh, President Biden had an opportunity in going to Gaza to seek to get more restraint uh, from uh, the government of Israel. And instead of reminding the government of Israel of their human rights obligations, that the Palestinian people were not at fault for what happened on October 7th. Um, he gave his unqualified support to Israel and promised them more weaponry to go into the region. The context does not need more weaponry. It needs a focus on 
protecting civilians. So we are not uh, uh, okay with what President Biden has been saying, and we have been calling on him to show more leadership in terms of protecting the human rights of everybody in the region. I would like to say I'm an American citizen now, but I'm also an Irish citizen. I am proud that the Irish government has been pushing the EU not to make the same mistake in that context. We need leadership in both the United States and Europe to ensure that Israel understands that there will be consequences if it violates human rights as it seeks uh, to uh, punish Hamas for what they did, which under no circumstances is okay. And let me be clear, we want to see all the hostages uh, safely back in their homes, immediately unharmed uh, as soon as possible. But that and, and the safety of those hostages should not mean that millions of Gazans are now in jeopardy. Um, I guess, you know, it's a, it's a tough question. It's a question that we often find ourselves asking um, during this conflict. And we have been here before, although many will say this is we're in unprecedented and new territory right now. But about hope and hope of a way out of this, um, from Amnesty's point of view, do you believe that there, there is the political will in any way to see a way out of this? It's hard right now to be talking about hope. Every day we see the numbers escalating. We see the potential tanks are gathering on the border. There's not enough aid getting in there. The human rights constraints and violations in all forms, collective punishment, the use of phosphorus, uh, the siege itself, the denial of basic life-giving fundamentals. It's hard to have hope in this moment. In the end of the day, though, as a human rights organization, all of us, including in Amnesty Ireland, who work so hard to advance human rights, work on the basis that in the end of the day, we have to collectively realize that everybody in that region needs their human rights protected. That is the only sustainable path way uh, forward. And right now, what we're doing is trying to stop harms. But uh, one day, we hope to be able to talk about a better future for everybody in the region. That was Paul O'Brien from Amnesty International USA, the executive director there speaking to me um, tonight. My panel of Fine Gael Senator John McGahan and Sinn Féin TD McCarthy have stayed on with me to discuss this further. Um, I'm just conscious that Paul O'Brien was referring to Ireland and, and where we stand and taking a stance on, on what's unfolding um, right now um, in, in Gaza, in the region. Uh, but the, the motion that was passed in the Dáil last night... There was no distinct condemnation of Israel. It's something opposition parties were looking for, John. Um, why is the government not prepared to condemn Israel? Hamas has been condemned, but the, our government isn't prepared to condemn Israel. Yeah, while I'm not a member of the Dáil, I didn't know the particulars of that motion, but we passed a very similar one in the Shannad uh, yesterday as well. And I think we've been quite clear in our condemnation of Israel and what they're doing in Gaza. I think Leo Varadkar as Taoiseach has been very clear in that condemnation. And the four key things that both the Taoiseach and the... Well, they, I, well the government has stopped short of... of any direct condemnation of Israel. I, I really think what we need to bring into this whole situation is what can we do to try and de-escalate this mm. entire situation as much as possible. Like, the world is an incredibly scary place at the minute, and what's happening in the Middle East is horrifying. And what we need to do, I believe, is four things. We need to have a total ceasefire straight away. We need to have all of the hostages returned without any preconditions. We need Israel to restore water and power to Gaza immediately. And we need humanitarian corridors opened up in Rafah into Egypt. There are four key things that need to happen to de-escalate this entire situation. Uh, McCarthy, John, saying, look at the bigger picture here. Do these words matter? 
Well, yes, yes, they do. And I think it is, it's regrettable that government haven't taken the, uh, um, the option of outrightly and explicitly condemning Israeli war crimes, because that's what we've been witnessing over the past number of, uh, of days and weeks and years, decades, if we want to go into, into that, because of course, and as has been already alluded mm -hmm. to, Hamas breached international law. They committed war crimes on October the 7th. Mm -hmm. They should be condemned and have been rightly condemned for that. Israel has not only breached international law every single day since, but for many years before, through its occupation, through its ongoing annexation, through the regular mm -hmm. bombardment of Gaza and through its ongoing attacks on the Palestinian people in both right. Gaza and the, and the West Bank. And the truth is, we are only ever going to reach okay. a final settlement on when the world says to Israel, you must stop. We must realise right. a just and lasting peace. And we know what that just and lasting peace is based on. Because the Palestinians mm. agreed to the Oslo Accords in the 1990s and Israel, ever right. since th that agreement was reached, have done everything they could to systematically destroy that and to prevent the solution that was envisaged from that to ever be realised. Uh, John, I, I want to ask you what, what the Taoiseach had to say when we look at another potential refugee crisis looming here. Um, speaking earlier today, Leo Varadkar said that Palestinian refugees would not be granted the same temporary protection as Ukrainians and said Ukraine is in a different category um, and we wouldn't treat Palestinian refugees in, in the same way in Ireland. Would you agree with that? Well, I think one of the most difficult things for anyone in Gaza at the minute, Palestinians, is getting out of Gaza. There is no, we don't even have refugees at the minute because they are just penned in and they're being bombed relentlessly mm -hmm. every night by the Israeli mm -hmm. defence forces. So I understand where the Taoiseach is coming from. I, I would agree with his assessment as well, is that Ukrainians were, Ukrainian refugees were able to leave their country immediately when this happened. Palestinian refugees are unable to okay. at this point but in time. But should they be able to leave the uh, country? I think it is definitely something that will have to be assessed uh, by the government, by the Taoiseach, once we get this de-escalation, once we get those humanitarian corridors open, that has to be absolute key. We have to stop people dying, innocent so civilians. Okay, okay. so you don't agree. Would you agree that they're, uh, what the Taoiseach got to say, that Ukrainians are in a different category here, Matt? No, no I think it, 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 it's quite distasteful, um, to be quite frank about it. He was speaking in the context that Ukraine, they are, we were talking about neighbours here, they're within Europe, um, I suppose they're, they're applying for candidacy of the European Union and this is why Ireland would treat Ukrainian refugees differently. International law has a very clear framework as to how countries treat people who are, uh, who are seeking international protection and it doesn't matter what colour they are, what their country's status in terms of EU membership is. The primary task of all of us should be to try and prevent the creation of refugees in the first place. And what that means in a Palestinian context is that we have an immediate and full ceasefire um, on all sides. Yes, we release the hostages, but we have to stop Israel from bombing. The only way they are going to stop bombing is if they realise that it is internationally unacceptable for them to continue to do that. And that means that we do need to be quite upfront and say, this immediately, in the immediate sense, mm. must stop. That means that Fine Gael MEPs who refuse to back a motion calling for a ceasefire today in the European Parliament need to wise up and to come onto the same page as the doll was last night when we voted for a ceasefire. And remember this, oh, because it's easy to be critical of the Irish government and they deserve criti um, some criticisms in this regard. But the doll last night became one of the first parliaments in the world, in the Western world in particular, to actually call for a ceasefire. Something as simple okay. as that. So the, the, at this point in time, peace 
justice and a delivery of a lasting and a viable Palestinian state requires world leaders and Ireland should be one of those world leaders demanding that. Okay, we will leave that there for now. But coming up after the break, Sarah King has met with some of those in Ireland suffering the impact of the war. So do stay with us. Welcome back. Virgin Media News correspondent Zara King has spoken to people in Ireland experiencing the horror of the Israel-Hamas conflict. Take a look at this. And her last message was at 7.47 local time. And she said that the IDF spokespersons have said message, sent them messages that there are terrorists in the kibbutz to stay safe. 14 minutes later, her son texted us this. Mom and dad are dead. Sorry. Call help. Her final moments played out in the family WhatsApp. Talia's aunt and uncle are murdered in their home in front of their 15-year-old son. Is he by himself? In He's by himself. Well, with the two bodies. Um, they're in the safe room and they're holding it down and then they came with a grenade and they, it blew up the safe room. The mum fell on him to kind of shield him and they were both shot on him. And the bullet that went through her went to his abdomen. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Shaka. Just a few weeks earlier, the family had celebrated Shakal's 50th birthday. And many more. The birthday girl. Yay. Yay. A family reunion. <laughs> They were real peace believers. Um, they sent their kids to school in, an, in a Jewish Christian Muslim school, which was really unheard of in Israel. Uh, and all the recent protests in Israel, they were so pro-Arab and they're, they're the last people that you'd ever think would be in this situation. They really believed in uh, co-live, coexistence between the two sides. 15-year-old Rotham was left alone in the house with the bodies of his parents and a gunshot wound to his stomach for several hours before he was rescued. This was the message that he sent after he managed to get back to the house and he kind of thought it was safe. I'm back home. There isn't really any smoke. But now I can actually say their mom and dad aren't alive. I'm so, so sorry. Across the border and into Gaza, one-year-old Irish citizen Sarah is trapped, waiting to escape through the Rafa crossing. She celebrated her first birthday last month in Dublin. Tonight, she is in a war zone. Her brother Mohanad waits patiently in Ireland, desperate for news from his mother Nazreen. And when you get a chance to talk to her, what does she tell you about what they're dealing with? It's just terrifying. Um, I try to talk to her all the time about trying to keep her calm. Um, she always tells me that it's just basically so scary seeing all of all of our friends, our family friends, basically neighbours getting killed. She basically tell us that she sleeps every night, not, wake, not knowing if she's going to wake up or not. So she's, she's always hoping for a better situation coming up for her and my sister and the family as well. How do you feel when you hear your mom say something like that? Uh, look, myself, I've, I've been in that situation before. I've lived in Gaza for 15 years. I've seen it myself. 
there's not a situation where you can feel like, oh, I'm getting used to what's happening. It's basically, as I said, an ongoing PTSD that you can't get rid of, of when you hear a bomb that's been uh, bombed down basically right beside you or even far from you. And my dad said something to me when, or said something to all of us when we were young uh, because we faced the war ourselves in 2014. And I was old enough to kind of understand what's going on in 2014. Um, so my dad told us one thing. He told us, if you hear the bomb, then know that you're safe. But if you don't hear it, then it's a situation, if you know what I mean. It's a bit terrifying, obviously, being in that situation. We're human beings at the end of the day. No one should actually live in these circumstances. Everyone should have peace. Like, you can't just put us in situations like that because we were born in Gaza. I am Nizreen tells Mohanad she is frightened because the building two doors down from where they're sheltering has been bombed. So she's saying, she just want to say to everyone um, here in Ireland that all the families, all the civilians and families in Palestine, they go to sleep, as I said, not knowing what's going to happen in the next few hours. Um, they're basically hoping that they'll wake up the next day because Today, maybe few of your beloved one would be killed, few of the civilians would be killed, you may be the next day. So they shouldn't face all of this. That's what's going on in Palestine. They should feel a bit more safe. They should feel that they have a future and not feel that they might just be killed today, today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think we can hear Sarah crying, so we yeah. thank you so much to your mum for me and tell her that we'll keep her in our thoughts and thank you. We hope Thanks. Back in Israel, Rotham is released from hospital in time to attend his parents' funeral alongside his sisters. The human cost of a conflict thousands of miles away felt deeply in Irish homes tonight. It sounds like from what you said that your aunt and uncle were very much believers in peace, that they had great empathy for people of Gaza. They did. They had great empathy for all Arab people. They just thought that people should live in coexistence. The people of Gaza aren't the ones to blame for this. They're paying the price for someone else's, for their government's behaviour. Um, So I think everyone has empathy with them. Anyone who sees the news, anyone who knows what's going on has empathy with them. It's only natural. I mean, if you have empathy on one side, you have to have empathy on other sides. Kids and babies are the same on both sides. Mohanad hopes his mother and baby Sarah will be home soon. But having lived through three wars in his own short life, he knows the dangers they face right now are lethal. Zara King, Virgin Media News. A glimpse into the deep human cost of this war. And um, we'll joining John McGahan and McCarthy to explain why this conflict is different and how it could end, how it could possibly end, is Dr. Carlo Aldrovandi, Assistant Professor in Religions, Conflict and Peace Studies at Trinity College, Dublin. Thank you for joining us on the programme tonight, Dr. Aldrovandi. Um, you know, you say, is this conflict different to others? Hearing the voices there and the young man from, from Gaza saying, you know, despite everything that he's been through over the years, this is just a situation you cannot get used to. Um, Right now, do you believe there's a different sense to what's happening? The horror is there, that the horror has been there for decades, but is there a difference this time? Uh, In my opinion, the situation is unprecedented. And uh, of course, the conflict didn't start uh, October the 7th, this blockade, but uh, I think the, the worst has yet to come, and uh, inevitably we will have a land uh, invasion and uh, a protracted conflict with no really 
certain end in sight. I don't think there is clarity even about what the IDF will do if and when Hamas will be defeated, if they will be defeated. I doubt it will be defeated, but I don't have really a clear idea about what uh, they're going to do, if they're going to occupy Gaza, if they're going to give authority to the Palestinian, to the PA, to the Palestinian Authority in Gaza. There is no clarity. And also there is the danger of uh, opening uh, a front uh, with uh, Hezbollah in the north. So. We are really facing unknowns, mm -hmm. in a way. Uh, you know, the stated aim by Israel to defeat Hamas, uh, the question is, is that even achievable? We've seen the level of civilian casualties, and it, it was something that the US pointed out, Let, let's, if, if, you know, see what can be achieved here. Is defeating Hamas even a, a possibility? And yet what we are seeing is thousands of people uh, dead. Yeah, it is entirely unpredictable. In, in 82, if you look at the history, there was an attempt to defeat uh, the Palestinians in Lebanon that ended up with the creation of Hezbollah. So you can't possibly predict what is going to happen, apart from the incredible, outstanding human costs befalling the Palestinians, without denying what happened you know, to the Israelis that were killed on October the 7th. So human costs are unprecedented. What about a ground invasion? Um, we know there are preparations afoot for that. We yeah. don't have a timeline on when that may happen. Do you believe it will happen? And what are the potential consequences there? So the potential consequences is going to be a protracted conflict. Uh, the IDF is now considering scenarios. Uh, the most uh, worrying one uh, is uh, opening a new front with Hezbollah and locking troops in Gaza without having the possibility to deploy uh, soldiers in, to defend the northern border. If Hezbollah um, would get engaged, they have a much more efficient, well-trained army and uh, missiles capabilities that are not paralleled by, by Hamas. So it is a concern. So they are, you know, waiting to, to, to see what happens. So there are skirmishes on the northern border, but uh, the ground invasion is inevitable because uh, there what, is this... What's the long-term goal? Uh, I mean, the declared long-term goal is the, the eradication of Hamas. I don't think it's possible because Hamas has different souls. Mm. It's also a social movement. And as I said before, you can't possibly enter a war scenario predicting the outcome. History tells us that it's not possible. So, and, uh, but uh, what I sense from uh, the Israeli front is uh, the necessity to, to flex the muscles. And uh, there is, unfortunately, this idea of a collective punishment. If you look at mm -hmm. the declaration of Yossi Cohen, the ex-Mossad uh, director, he, he is very, very candid about talking about collective punishment. There is no difference, especially if you take into account uh, the Hebrew sta the statements of the IDF in Hebrew, mm. not in English, there is no difference between, they call it not Hamas, the enemy, but the Palestinians and the Arabs, so. Yeah, uh, I, I want to bring in um, Matt and John here. Is there anything we can learn from what, we, what has happened on these islands and what has happened in Ireland in terms of conflict resolution that could possibly be brought to what seems like a very intractable situation there, Matt, do you believe? Yes, I believe that the first lesson we can learn is even in the darkest day, 
the lowest moment. There is hope, but it takes political leaders that want peace. It takes the international community to play a positive and constructive role, something that isn't happening in this instance. Um, and it takes people to stick to their word when agreements are made to actually to adhere to them. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest barrier to peace at the moment is Israel. And I think we need to say that. Mm -hmm. They are the people who are, have the military might, who are at this moment, as we speak, slaughtering, slaughtering um, peop the people of, Ga of, of Gaza. Um, and they are the people who have reneged also, on every uh, um, agreement they made. And, but also, isn't there an onus on the international community as well? You know, yes. uh, um, there, there's power and influence there um, to, to you know, affect the situation. Isn't that the case, John? Hugely. And it's going to be international diplomacy that is going to bring an urgent ceasefire to the Middle East. Uh, and it's going to be all actors. For example, Iran are going to have mm. to be leaned on heavily because they have an influence at regional groups there. What I would say in the Irish context is there is no military victory here for Israel. There is no outcome. And it's similar to Ireland how in the mid-90s there was no military victory for the IRA. They knew that wasn't going to happen and they came to the table. And what we need as long as this continues and as long as more people are dying, we are getting further away from a ceasefire. And what we need now is people to sit down and sort this out as soon as possible. But we also people need are going to continue to international die. leaders, including our own government, to call for an immediate right, ceasefire. Are, and that's what we we're are, doing. We're, we're out of time now. on that. Um, uh, many thanks for joining us on the programme tonight. My thanks to John, to Matt, to Carlo. Our programme is available as a podcast. But from us, good night and do take care. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.